Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Good Roads Podcast. I am Jared LeMay, and there's a new face joining me in the co-host seat this week. She's an integral part of Good Roads and uh, the one who actually pushed Thomas and I to begin this podcast, which may or may not be detrimental to her character, depending on how you view this podcast. Good Roads Manager of Marketing and Communications, Rachel Swedenicki. Thanks for filling in, Rachel. All the work that you've done in the past at CBC has finally led you to the big time, right? <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> all right. Okay. Uh, it's good to have you here. It's going to be a, a fun episode. Um, and all right. In today's episode, we're going to be revisiting a topic we touched on a bit in episode 11. And I'm going to put that in the show notes for everybody so you can just go back and check it out. Uh, it's about uh, rising municipal insurance rates. In that episode, we discussed joint and several liability, its contribution to the increases in insurance rates and so on and so forth. Um, We eventually came to the conclusion that reform isn't the silver bullet everybody's making it out to be, but prevention entirely might help this uh, situation a little bit. Our guests today posit that municipalities can protect themselves before they end up in a courtroom defending their actions and are here to tell us how. From Advantage Forensics, a firm dedicated to the forensic analysis of evidence from vehicle collisions uh, and too much more to go over in this introduction, I'm happy to welcome Isam DeBoer and Jason Young. Thanks for taking the time to come in and discuss the issue with us. Uh, This topic's something that's very concerning to our members and uh, can go a long way, not only protecting them legally, but uh, also increasingly, or sorry, increasing safety on the roads. Thank you very much for inviting us to this uh, podcast. Uh, my name is Isam Nabur, and uh, I'm happy to be here with you. And of course, we have here uh, Jason Young also, the president of Advantage Forensics. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. Okay. It's, uh, it's good to see both of you, and uh, thanks for being here. So I guess to start this podcast off, we're going um, we're, we're to start, start off a little bit easy for you. Um, Let's get an idea of what Advantage Forensics is and what exactly they bring to the table. Um, yeah, if either one of you can start. Sure. Um, Advantage Forensics is an Ontario-based forensic engineering firm. We are located out of Toronto. We handle all of Ontario, including the far north. Uh, we do cases outside of Ontario as well. Our firm is multidisciplinary, so that means that we handle collisions, we handle uh, road design, maintenance, we handle winter In summer maintenance, we handle human factors types of cases, biomechanics, slips and falls, personal injuries, sports, uh, material failure, and uh, fire and flood as well. Uh, Last year, our firm was voted the number one firm in all of Canada for collision reconstruction. So that's a a great uh, thing that we like to talk about, and uh, we're very proud of that. Okay, so excellent. Um, Essentially, you guys uh, look at accidents, collisions, so on and so forth after the fact and um, report back as to what the, I guess, the mitigating factors or contributing factors were. That's right. Ultimately, we act as expert witnesses in court for cases that do go ahead to court. Uh, We take cases from plaintiffs. We take cases from defendants, from insurers, from municipalities, from the government as well. Uh, We've been hired by MTO on many occasions to do uh, collision investigations of large large, uh, severity cases. Okay, so you guys have seen a lot, and you uh, <laughs> you have an idea of what uh, what the issues are surrounding collisions like this. Absolutely. Okay, terrific. Um, so I guess uh, we'll we'll dive right in. Um, looking back at episode eleven of our podcast, uh, discussing joint and several liability and rising insurance rates, um, this is something Good Roads has been pushing for a while, uh, especially in our advocacy day. Um, joint and several liability seems quite unfair to municipalities having to pick up the tab after um, collisions or accidents that were not 
entirely their fault, even down to 1%. Um, at the end of that podcast, we, we realized that after, um, even with a reform, it probably still wouldn't bring down insurance rates. Um, so it, it sort of seemed as, or seen as a boogeyman for municipalities. Um, is joint and several liability as big an issue as it's made out to be in your realm? Absolutely. Yeah, it's a, it's a really massive area of potential exposure for municipalities. Uh, you can be, uh, as a municipality, you can be 1% responsible for a collision and then end up on the hook for 90% of the damages. And that's that's quite a, uh, it, it seems quite a lopsided of a result. So uh, any deep pocket insurer, in particular municipalities, is always at risk of being a target in, in large cases. Yeah, and it seems like... Um I guess from what we've seen going forward or in the past, um, it, it almost seems like lawyers are just tossing municipalities into any collision, any court case, just to see if they can get that little extra. Because people are not, I think minimum, you have to have a million dollars liability. And with um, with healthcare, long living of um, victims, it, the court cases are getting over a million dollars. And these lawyers are looking to get as much money as possible. And like you said, with deep pockets in municipalities, um, that, that that's an easy target to go after. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it used to be that most cases in, in Canada would be limited to about a million dollars of liability for normal types of collisions, uh, but that's not the case anymore. And that's one of the reasons why a personal insurance policies have risen to two million. Right. But uh, as you mentioned, if you have a, a young... Uh, uh, injured party or someone who uh, was a big uh, wage earner or someone who's early in their career, you could have easily a five or seven or $10 million claim for, for one collision. And if there's multiple vehicles involved, then it, it just multiplies. Wow. Um, I, I guess that, that brings us to the crux of, uh, of this conversation. What can municipalities do? Um, insurance, well, the government is They've been interested in discussing joint and several liability reform. We've brought them several different models. Um, the government doesn't seem to, I don't want to say excited, but um, I guess they're not really rushing to reform joint and several liability. So in the interim, what can people do? I can answer this question from my own experience with municipalities and MTO. Uh, an excellent way for municipalities to protect themselves against lawsuits is by making sure that they have a policy in place that clearly shows how different road facilities are respected and maintained. And more important is to keep uh, proper documentation for everything they're doing from start to finish, from the design phase to the construction phase to the maintenance to the inspection and then to services like winter services, uh, summer maintenance, all this. If they have proper documentation, most likely a municipality will be off the hook. So you talk about documentation. That's a really important point. Um, so minimum maintenance standards, does that play into it at all? Can you of talk course. a little bit about that? Yes, of course. Like when I say a municipality has to develop its own level of service policy, this policy, like some municipalities develop their own policies, some municipalities simply follow the minimum maintenance uh, standards. 
especially that the minimum standards is now enforced into a law, so it's easier for municipalities to follow these standards. So if a municipality adopts the minimum maintenance standards and does everything according to the standards, and if it has clear documentation that shows that they did everything as per the standards, then there is a very good chance that they're not exposed to liability. Right. Okay. That's good to know. Something important to add and keep in mind, it's it's not all gray clouds out there. The standard for for a legal test against a municipality is reasonableness, not perfection. The, the standard is not perfection of services, design. The standard is to meet a reasonable uh, a reasonable care, a reasonable condition for the roads and for uh, for the road network in general. And that's so, why these uh, minimum maintenance standard, minimum maintenance standards have been put out there because they are reasonable minimums for uh, municipalities. Has there ever ever been? And I'm curious um, because they are minimum. Yes. Um, yeah. Has a court ever said, "Well, why didn't you do more than the minimum?" Has yeah, it that's ever a been? great question. Yeah, um, the, the the MMS, the minimum maintenance standards, were developed as as bare bones definition of what is the requirements because it seems a little bit uncomfortable for every judge to be deciding what's reasonable right. uh, in every single situation. And and judges as well prefer to have uh, some standard to base their opinion on um, rather than just uh, being subjective on a case-by-case basis. But when the minimum maintenance standards have gone to court, some judges have actually found that they are too lenient and in some areas and have basically th- pushed aside the MMS standards and said that's not enough in this particular case the municipality should have done more and it was if you follow the history of how MMS has developed over the years since its inception in 2002 2001 2003 over the years it's been rewritten many times sometimes as a part of normal policy but sometimes it's been rewritten as a result of cases where judges pushed aside a phrase in MMS and said that's not going to cut it that's not reasonable. Right. Wow. Okay. And I'd like to add, like, just one example of what Jason said now is, for example, according to the minimum maintenance standards for um, certain class of highways, a municipality is not required to clear snow, uh, snow from the road until the snow has a depth of, for example, five centimeters. Really? Yeah, five centimeters is not safe. No, <laughs> so, no, no, no. Yes. Yeah, so. That seems like... Um, Two inches. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. That's a fair amount like, of snow. That seems yeah. like something a judge would say this is not enough. So, so many of the cases where a judge would say minimum standards are a little too lenient is the depth of snow that needs to be cleared. Um, so again, like uh, there are other things that are not even included in the minimum maintenance standards, for example, visibility at intersections, which is a very important topic. Actually, many of the uh, lawsuits that go against municipalities are because of visibility at intersections. And so far, uh, visibility at intersections is not included in the minimum maintenance standards. There are other areas as well that aren't in MMS, such as Snow fences are not discussed at all okay. in MMS. Uh, 
what kind of ratio you use for your sand versus salt mixtures is nowhere to be found in MMS. It's it, it's a developing standard that has it's really still in its its early early years. It needs right. it needs more time to develop to expand to other areas. Sidewalks uh, were added in the last uh, decade. They weren't in the first versions of the standard, so it's a still it's a developing standard that's growing. It's it's an alive standard. Okay. So you talked about snow fences, sorry, and this is one of my questions when when I looked at this was, is one area at greater risk versus another, like rural versus urban, um, when it comes to liability and and things like that? Do you see that in your expertise or in your experience for snow fences specifically uh just anything in general like rural versus urban because urban like you know you go to toronto yeah. you see all new methods of modality right like That's scooters right. so i can answer this question from my own you know expertise in terms of traffic safety most collisions occur in urban settings because of the very high volume of vehicles as compared right. to rural settings however because of the congestion most vehicles travel at very low speeds, so also <coughs> there are several collisions. The collisions are way higher than the number of collisions at typical intersections in, in the rural areas, but injuries are not usually uh, bad injuries because of the low speeds. On the other hand, in a rural setting, traffic volumes are lower, number of collisions are smaller, but usually injuries are much more severe. So from my own experience, of course I have seen collisions that go to the court and result in lawsuits in urban settings, but not as many as those in rural settings. It sounds like with the urban versus rural divide there is you're gonna have a lot more catastrophic injuries rurally, I guess higher speeds on roads, less um, safety. Um, initiatives and um, depending on where you are visuals I guess but like you said your slower speeds in urban settings result in I guess just cosmetic damage to vehicles That's true. And, right. and don't forget also that like usually uh, design standards and maintenance in urban areas are much higher than those in rural areas also. Right. Yeah. the major two types of collisions that we usually see in the cities are the nighttime pedestrian collisions and the left, left turn collisions at interest at signalized intersections? Those are that that's probably ninety percent of our collision work. Um, those two types of cases. So with left turns, you really don't have a lot of areas to go after a city in terms of um, um, liability, other than perhaps the signal timing, which is standardized. So that really is off the table in terms of nighttime visibility. That would uh, lead to questions about illumination of the road, whether the uh, intersection or the road had um, the amount of lighting that it should have. In the rural settings, the then you get into all types of collisions, lane, lane violations, passing collisions, um, speeding, loss of control, winter maintenance collisions of all types. So there's really a big difference in the type of collision we see inside the city, outside the city. and And that's where the rural municipalities are, are, are getting it um, targeted in terms of two-way stop, intersection design, uh, sight distance over hills and crests, signage, um, those types of uh, issues. So yeah, 
actually that that leads me into our next topic very nicely um the two-way uh intersections um but just to tie everything up in a nice little bow um i guess solutions for municipalities is the minimum maintenance standards is just that a minimum and you always want to do a little bit more than the minimum right that's right so um yeah discussing lawsuits and specifically um in an article you guys have just had published with GRQ, which will be coming out um, hopefully next week, uh, you, you, you have an anecdote um, about, let me just get my notes here, uh, the Kiyokio versus Hamilton about a collision where the town was found 25% liable due to faded stop lines. And if I'm not mistaken, um, just for our listeners, around that, uh, a vehicle pulled up to a stop sign and went through and somebody missed a stop sign and ended up T-boning them. Okay. So they were, um, well, there's actually, there's there's actually two cases, just there's two cases that are, um, quite similar. One is the Safranios case. Yeah. I was going to get to that. That was the one you were referring to. Right. Where the the city was found 25% responsible. Right, right, right. Uh, They both involved stop lines, which is interesting. Right. Um, the second case is the Chiochio case which also involved the stop sign and visibility as well. And there the city was found 50% responsible, uh, just to put the, 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 set the stage for the. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we're going to, we're going to get into that. So, um, I, I just wanted to ask it, it sounds like, um, with things like that, courts are getting a little bit nitpicky. Um, I, I mean, I wasn't there. I don't know how faded the stop line was, but I mean, if you, st- and I believe a stop sign was back further than, so, in the entryway. So, yeah. um, I, I mean, that, that may, people may consider that fair, but um, are municipalities being held to uh, an unreasonably high standard? Do you see that? Do you, do you feel that way? Um, I wouldn't say so. I don't think so. Municipalities are expected to keep up reasonable standards, reasonable, okay. keep the roads in a reasonable state of repair. And if they do so, there are many, many cases where the municipalities are found zero, 0% responsible okay. so, because they have kept a, a reasonable effort to. Uh, maintain their roads, patrol their roads, to inspect and right. improve their roads, and and uh, in all of those cases, those are the cases you don't hear about because <laughs> yeah. they're not big number cases. Right. But there are many cases where there's a silver lining to this to this story where the municipalities are found zero percent responsible. And again, I guess that, that touches on the I guess the theme of this episode is reasonable because like if you're looking at uh, it, let's say this happened in the winter and the line happened to be snow covered. Um, like you said, Isam, if it uh, if it was under five centimeters, five centimeters two this inches. is for like for for lower classes of highways. Right, right. right. Like let's let's say this was a lower class of highway. Let's say yeah. it was under that five centimeters, um, and let's say a good deal. Like you don't have to have a lot of snow to cover a line, but that would be considered reasonable. Whereas we're in the summer; it's nice out. Yeah, in terms of snow, you know, the problem with snow is not only that it covers. Uh, Stop lines. The bigger problem here is that snow greatly reduces the friction between vehicle tires and the surface of the road, right. which may make vehicles unstable. And we're not required to have snow tires here in Ontario, so... It is not by the law. Of course, some drivers choose to put snow tires, but yeah. it is not a legal requirement yet. So this is a problem, is that a municipality and like there is a complete section in the minimum maintenance standards and usually in any level of service policy about how municipalities should monitor the weather, how municipalities should respond to uh, snow and ice, uh, how soon they must uh, respond. 
the like uh, the timing here is very important of course and most of the winter maintenance cases are time incentive and like they need careful inspection of all the documentation gps records to make sure that the municipality has responded within the uh, time frame uh, required by the minimum maintenance standards another thing here that is not covered by the minimum maintenance standards which is but it is still very important is the rate of like the salting rate how much salt the municipality has to apply to the road okay. uh, to make sure that uh, you know snow will not stick to the surface of the road this is another thing that is not covered by MMS but it is covered by some other uh, you know uh, guidelines from either the Transportation Association of Canada or from the Minister of Transportation. This is probably a good time to plug the uh, snow school. <laughs> if anyone out there who's listening is not sending their staff to snow school, right. start. I think he's trying to take our job, Jared. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's a fantastic course. And we, all, all operators should be going to it. But that's a good point because like, I feel bad for municipalities because they do have to manage so many different issues from climate change and then when you talk about salt right they have to be very careful of environmental standards waterways things like that as well so um when you talk about ontario i don't know if you if this is something that you can answer but like how do we compare to the rest of canada other provinces right like in quebec i know it's law to have winter tires right or am i incorrect in that yep, no sure. and i believe yeah. that's true and i mean that in a, in a court case um if somebody in quebec didn't have winter tires uh, that would give a municipality a huge advantage, I believe. How do we compare? Do you know, like, have you have you seen Ontario versus, like, in dealing with these types of issues? I, I wouldn't be able to say. The system in Manitoba is very different for starters because the insurance system there is is a completely no fault system. There's no there's no option to um, pursue cases. Uh, the Quebec's law system is different in terms of insurance and in terms of a burden of proof as well. And uh, so really we're closest to BC and to Alberta. Mm -hmm. And I know of one of the systems we talk about when we talk about joint and several liability, something we brought to MPPs is Saskatchewan's model. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it's less of a burden on municipalities, but still able to make um, victims whole again. Yeah, Saskatchewan is, still does have joint and several liability. Yeah, but not to the extent Ontario does, if I'm not mistaken, because that's something we've been pushing for to to actually look into instead of. Well, the states as well is looking to reform that um, because it's a it's a large burden on municipalities to right. co to cover that eighty percent of damages that no one can uh, can pay out right. to to, uh, to bring you know, um, long term care to whichever individual got hurt so uh, there are a few models out there that uh, but but it's uh, it's not so simple they're not not having an easy time reforming this system it, it was put in place for a reason right. to protect uh, individuals who have serious damages to make sure that one way or the other they will get uh, the damages that uh, they were awarded and that's the thing and nobody wants to to leave somebody out on the street especially with catastrophic injuries you want to make sure they're taken care of and and everybody's made whole with that. But right. Like you have this case out in Saskatchewan uh, called Jennifer New, where she's a four-year-old girl, 
and she was on her way to school, first day of school. My heart's breaking already, dude. And she <laughs> was hit by a car, paralyzed for life, and uh, damages were assessed at $16 million wow. for her. There was a split of, damage, a split of liability between uh, the city, between the, the chief of police, between the driver, and uh, in the end, all of those policies could only cover so much. The city had to cover about right. 13 of that 16 million, even though they were only found um, 45. Thir- 40, 45% responsible. So they, they covered over, almost 90% of it, yeah, uh, 80%. Yeah, 80, about 80% of it. Wow. And I mean, and that's the reason for that law to make sure that, that uh, you know, a young child who was injured, who needs that, and it's yeah. not, we're not talking about a case of fraud here, we're talking about a case of a kid who who need lifetime care, make sure we make sure that they are going to get that care. Right. And I mean, it's, it's a lot on the parents as well too. Um, right. Right. So you can, you can see both sides of it. Yeah. Um, if you don't work full time in roads, it's, uh, <laughs> it, 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 it's understandable how the court system came up with this idea in the yeah. first place. It definitely a hundred percent. Um, and I guess to circle back, uh, to the original court case, we were talking about the Chichio, um, the, you mentioned another court case, the uh, Sofranos. Um, they're both very similar in in nature. Uh, I believe one, the um, Chichio one, was found responsible. The, the these names, I swear. Sure. Sofranos, Sofranos, and, and Sofranos. Yeah, Sofranos was eventually found um, not responsible, right? They, they're two different outcomes? There are two different outcomes. It's very interesting. So Sofranos um, and Chiochio uh, both involved stop lines that were faded or not there at all and should have been there. Uh, Sofranos also involved inadequate sight lines Okay. at the intersection. There were both two-way stop-controlled intersections. And... Uh, the initial result was very, very similar by the trial judge. Two, right. di- two different trial judges who found that uh, there was a split of liability between all of the parties. In Sofranios, the uh, trial judge found the city 25% responsible, found the driver on the main road uh, 25% responsible, I believe, and the, dr- and the driver on the, um, at, the stops, at the stop sign control road 50% responsible. That was the split. In Chiochio, uh, the trial judge found the city 50% respo- 50% responsible, and the driver who had uh, gone forward from the stop sign uh, was responsible for the other 50%. But uh, that's where the similarities end because okay. the, both cases went to court of appeal. Both cases were large value claims where the city was going to pay much more than their share. Right. The city appealed both cases, and it's so interesting because the two different courts of appeal in Ontario, both of them, so two different panels of three judges, looked at these two cases and on the exact same day released their decision on both cases, which is a bit, really? of, a, a bit of a coincidence. Wow. So the exact same day, both decisions ca- came out and they were opposite decisions. Wow. In Chiochio, the appeals court said that the city is not responsible if a driver acts in a way that is so unreasonable that the city couldn't possibly have predicted it or accounted for it and said that the city is not responsible for this driver violating the stop sign because they should not have gone forward. That was the decision there. And the city was completely let out of that um, uh, decision. So the decision was reversed. Right. In Sofranios, the Court of Appeals said, no, the 
and and these two courts of appeal had not seen each other. That's what's wow. so interesting about it because they were released on the same day, so they couldn't rely on each other as a case, case law. law. Yeah. In Sofranius, the court of appeal found that the city uh, was responsible for the stop line not being there and for the inadequate sight lines, and the fact that the driver had proceeded anyways uh, was not enough of a reason. It was not so unreasonable to have. Uh, taken the liability off of the city so the the um the court actually up, um, maintained the decision of the trial judge in Sofranios, but reversed the decision on the through driver and said the through driver couldn't have done anything yeah they they said that the trial judge made a mistake and assigning liability to the through driver would um, there wouldn't have been any difference in any circumstance the through driver could not have could not have avoided that so what happened in Sofranios in that appeal is they actually put more liability onto the city because we had this three-way split before. Yeah. And this court of appeal got rid of one of the other parties. So now it's a two-way split. And uh, there was a request to go to the Supreme Court of Canada to challenge the decision on Chiochio. Right. Because these two decisions given on the same day by the court of appeals at the same level of court were seemingly in contradiction. And the Supreme Court of Canada refused to hear the case. Really? And did not want to rule on it and left the two decisions as they were. So we're left right now with these two opposite decisions yeah. in cases of stop lines and site visibility at, at stop intersections. That's really interesting. And I guess my takeaway from that is um, it, it almost seems like, like you said, there's six different judges, uh, three on one side, three on the other, making the same decision. It almost seems like you're rolling the dice if you don't, and I mean, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth about judges or anything like that because they're people like us, they make decisions. Um, but it seems like you're rolling the dice if you even let this get to court, if you do not, if you're not proactive in in your maintenance standards. Um, it seems like you're rolling the dice of, of flipping a coin 50-50 one side or the other. Well, certainly, uh, you know, not meeting MMS or not having a road... Uh, um, network screening system, not improving your uh, worst ranked roads. That's that's definitely rolling the dice, or, or maybe even Russian roulette. If <laughs> right, would be a better example. Well, but. it even seems like in I'm not going to say any case, but in a case by case basis, like you said, these two cases are yeah. fairly similar, and you had two different outcomes. Yeah. So when you when you think you know what the outcome is, the whole point of municipal cases only being heard by judges is so that you get consistent decisions. Yeah. And that there's no random unexpected, unpredictable outcomes from these cases. And yet we see in these two cases that there was a little bit of random element between the two decisions. So and hopefully in time will be clarified, but right now is not. If both these municipalities, um, and I'm not sure what their MMS standards were or what, to what extent they utilized them, but if they'd have gone above and beyond, do you, do you see these being similar outcomes in favor of municipalities? Well, stop lines aren't discussed in not an MMS. MMS. They're not covered in MMS. Painted road markings are not discussed in MMS. And and as Ethan mentioned, uh, uh, intersection visibility is not mentioned in MMS. Oh. So those were MMS really had nothing to do with those cases. Okay, so I mean, yeah. Those let, were design cases. Let's using, throw MMS out the window then. So you, you should be following the TAC guidelines. Yeah. You should be following... Um, MTO guidelines. MTO guidelines, if you have whatever... You should at least follow the minimum standards that are out there, whatever and they are, or your, or exceed them. Right. This brings another thing here is that, first of all, the cheapest way for a municipality 
is by developing a standards and stick to the standards. This is the cheapest way. Right. Okay? Otherwise, as you say, they rolling the dice, they may go to the court and they may have to pay millions right. in one settlement, in one uh, court case. Um, well, standards seem like such a, a inexpensive way to to do something compared to paying 16 million a lawsuit. Or... Of course. Like, let alone the fact that if they develop if they develop the standards and if they stick to those standards, they're also saving lives. So right. they're doing their job now. Right. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> yeah. To serve people. And at the end of the day, that's what it's all about is saving lives, right? Of course, yeah. Vision, vision Zero. Vision Zero, yes. Vision Zero. All right, um... What else is there? Um, oh yeah, yeah. So, um, I, I was looking through your your article, and um, in a couple of places you mentioned failing to develop proper levels of service. I also looked through the Safranos case, and um, they were talking bad policies, insufficient training, um, all being catalysts for liability. Um, so that I, I guess that brings us back. That's MMS, right? And like you said, not following TAC or um, MTO or, or whatever. Yeah. Again, this is. Something, you know, like, I'm trying here to advocate that municipal staff must be aware of the standards, must be aware of the fact that any municipality must have clear standards for for everything, not only for inspection and maintenance, but also for design. So, uh, like, some municipalities, you know, if you ask them, what standards are you using when you design an intersection? Sometimes they don't even know. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't say that this is ignorance or something, but it is because of you know every engineer or every technician or every decision maker in every municipality has their own role and they focus on that role and usually they do great jobs in that role, <clears throat> but. A traffic collision usually results from different factors altogether, right. which means that usually it is not caused by a failure from only one staff member or from only one division of the municipality. It is a combination of different things. So uh, municipal staff need to look at the big picture. They need to look how a road can be designed, right. how a road can be inspected how it can be maintained and how we can keep documentation of all these steps together. And this is the idea of the course that we are thinking to uh, offer is to let municipal staff know that they must have standards for everything, even if it's not your job for them to inspect the road, but you must know how roads are inspected. Right, <laughs> you must right. know how roads can be maintained. It's not like the technicality of repairing the road, should you bought how much cement, should you bought how much, you know, uh, pavement or whatever. This is like, I know that there are municipal staffs that are excellent in this, but you must know that at one point, this must be done. This is the whole idea. Which brings us to the course that we're yeah, giving for uh, Good Roads you, on... You walked with, right into that one. Yeah. So November yeah. 28th to November 30th. Right. Uh, the three-day um, course we're giving with uh, in conjunction with, with Good Roads, um, offering it for all municipalities across Ontario. And the idea of the course is to, first of all, educate uh, your supervisors, your operators, your risk managers 
about this, all of these issues in detail and uh, the risks that municipalities face in terms of liability, joint and several liability, uh, the 1% rule, uh, and as well to go through practical steps to basically shield and bulletproof yourself to the extent that you can from municipality exposure to liability from all of these um, targets that are on the backs of municipalities. What practical steps can can you implement at your uh, municipality to to help uh, with this issue? And we've got a couple steps here that we could just tease the audience with. If yeah, you definitely. Like. I mean, uh, I guess further to this conversation and further to the teasers, this is um, this is all stuff that's going to be covered in this course. It's uh, um, municipal liability uh, traffic collisions, I believe is what it's called. Um, look for it on the Good Roads site, goodroads.ca slash education. Um, like you said, November 28th. I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, again, uh, anybody who's involved in municipal, the municipal, municipal industry decision-making especially, should take a look at this course. Um, I, I know municipalities have been having a rough time with insurance and joint several liability and driving rates. You want to bring those rates down. You want to save the best lawsuit you get is the one, well, the best lawsuit to be involved in is one you're yes. not involved in at all. Absolutely. So if you can prevent, if you can prevent these lawsuits and mitigate as much risk as possible, this this is how you reform joint and several liability. So, yeah, if you want to tease us a little bit about uh, about this course. Um, sure. Uh, well, I mean, in general, you want to be teaching your, uh, your staff all the way down to the operators, teaching them and training them about the risks, the, the financial risks to the city, to the municipality of... of um, of joint and several liability and, and the issues that can come up, and you want to get them on board to make them part of the team, so that they are, uh, so that they care about their job and they care about not only uh, protecting the roads but also protecting the municipalities. One one specific thing that patrollers can do that we'll be talking about at the course is when you're going and doing patrols and you're filling out inspection logs and you're identifying areas where you find problems. Uh, one very practical, easy, easy trick to do is to what I call uh, minimize the problem. And that means that when you're marking down on your inspection sheet where the issues are that you find, there's a pothole here, there's icy patches here, there's uh, edge of pavement issues here. Instead of marking the entire section with, a, with an X saying that that section had problems, just identify the specific area uh, where the problem was. If it was five meters of a problem area, write down five meters and give the location because you can bet that if a collision occurs there and those documents go to court, the judges, the experts, the lawyers will all assume that the problem was throughout the entire section, which could be a two or three kilometer section of road. You might only have two potholes in that section. Right. And you've now just stated for everyone that we have potholes along an entire <laughs> two kilometer section of road. And even so, like so, minimize and, the problem is one one of the practical tips. Ambiguity too tends to favor um, the opposite party. So if you're going to be if you're going to be sketchy about the details, then they're they're going to they're going to leave it up to their imagination. But yeah, it's something you don't think about as you're doing your patrol. You're you're, you're going through your network. You have coffee in 25 minutes. You have seven more road sections to do. You drive through them and you check and you check and you check. And then you find potholes in one section and you write potholes. Um, you don't think you don't think that I'm basically uh, creating a problem that doesn't exist. If you have one or two potholes, say one or two potholes, 
um, you don't realize the 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 level of the problem that you're creating for yourself. And also the size of the butthole also. Yeah. Because the size is part of the MMS, by the way. So okay. yeah. MMS, like the section MMS, that based on the size of the butthole, how soon it must be repaired. So when inspecting the road, they must also write down the size of the butthole. Is it like a butthole that is only like two inch by two inch is not a big deal. Well, it's going to be a big difference between hitting a two inch by two inch pothole and a 10 inch gorge in the middle yes, of the road, right? That's true. So imagine you get to court, there's a cyclist riding along, hits a pothole, goes head, head over handlebars, and they know exactly where they fell. Yeah. And if you can go, if you can produce documents that say we inspected the road and there were potholes and they were 200 meters down the road from where you say they were. And at that particular section, there was nothing. Yeah. You're in good shape. Right. You're in very good shape because that means the pothole either was never there or it developed after your inspection. Right. Either way, you're in good shape. So that little, that one little trick by itself could save you massive amount of headaches. Well, let me ask you this too. Um, we, we've, uh, we've had a sponsor at the last couple of conferences who developed software hardware that you mount in trucks and as you're driving along, it maps the potholes for you. How, how would that hold up in court? So we are going to talk about that in the course as well, as well as GPS right. systems. Uh, it's related, you, the question is related to GPS systems okay. where, where every uh, problem that you identify is linked to a specific location. That's a fantastic system. And, and I'm it, guessing having visuals to show that the road was in fact clean before or during that inspection would go a lot more a lot further than just having a piece of paper with a note scribbled beside it. Yeah, yeah. Judges like GPS systems where they can see the car moving along and they see that the car actually drove that route during the time because not only with with a piece of paper, you're trusting that the operator did what they said they did. Which right, is, exactly. Which judges do trust uh, as, until an issue comes up. Judges yep. do trust that the, the person was where they say they were. Yeah. Unless there's some, you know... Um, problem with credibility of that individual person but otherwise the judges do believe the person that's with the gps system it's you can see the truck moving yeah exactly and there's no no if ands or buts about that and is it five minutes to coffee break do they see the tim hortons down the road and say yeah the rest of the road's fine yeah speaking of uh, road inspection also one thing that we would focus in our course is the importance of developing an inspection lock sheet or an inspection lock system, uh, which means that when the inspector goes out to the road, he knows what to look at because uh, some inspectors have standard uh, inspection locks, some other inspectors don't have and just leave it to the to the inspector or the operator to write down in his own diary, whatever he saw. And uh, even in the best effort for inspectors is just to follow the minimum standards, the bare minimum standards, which like what we said before, uh, there are other safety issues that are not covered by those standards. Right. So if you are already out on the road, why don't you also look at visibility at intersections, for example? Okay. Is, is this something in the course you're going to help them with? Is building of course, a, yeah. There yeah, you go. That, there's another reason. You got... You got two things for free today, people. <laughs> it's, okay. a, it's a great course. It's very comprehensive. Uh, it's three full days. Uh, it's case studies, and uh, it's engineers talking about law. So what could be better? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, what I've gathered from this conversation is develop standards and then documentation, right? 
details. And take detailed. the course. Yeah, take the course. <laughs> take the course. So we'll put it, we'll put a link in the show notes. Um, no, this has been fantastic. And this actually seems a, like a really good place to wrap up for the time being. So um, is there anything you guys want to leave us with before, before I wrap this up? All good. All good. Thank you All very right, much. We're happy. Okay. Thanks for having uh, us. So remember to, remember to check out this uh, brand new course, Municipal Liability Traffic Collisions, uh, November 28th. Um, it's going to be linked in the show description. And once again, thanks to Isam and Jason for joining us uh, and providing us with this valuable information. Um, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and now Instagram for up-to-date information on everything happening on good roads. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, remember to give us a thumbs up, uh, subscribe. It's not just the podcast that goes up here. Uh, we, we put up a lot of information, a lot of webinars, a lot of really good content to help you run your municipality smoothly and efficiently as possible. Um, also, leave a comment, uh, give us your feedback on the YouTube video. It helps feed the algorithm, get this out to a bunch of other people too. And um, as always, everybody, until next time, take it easy. Thanks.